So if you would, please turn in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, first 11 verses. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law court? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So, if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not among you one wise man who is able to decide between his brethren. But brother goes to law with brother and that before unbelievers. Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you do not be deceived? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexual, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Father, I ask that you teach us now. Father, we would, we would bow before what you say. And that, Father, we would rejoice at being your child. And yet, Father, understanding that your ways are not our ways. And yet, Father, understanding that you see the eternals, whereas we don't. Father, help us to walk as a child of the King. Help us to shed the stuff of this world. Help us to embrace you and you alone. To your praise and glory. In Christ's name, amen. The Apostle Paul founded this church in a horrible place, a horrible society. And yes, this is a church. This is not... Uh, a lot of people I see try to throw some of this out saying this isn't, but he's already stated it in chapter 1, to the church of God in Christ in Corinth. So it's a church. It's not a man-made entity. It is not something that man has tr- tried to bring together. This is a place where the spirit of the living God has drawn upon lost, blind, naked, depraved people and drawn them to the light and an everlasting life with the Lord Jesus Christ. But this church had problems. This church was bringing a lot of their own philosophies, a lot of their own understanding, a lot of their own wisdom into the body of Christ. We do that today. I don't care who you are. Uh, I've seen people who claim that they've been saved. Well, I was saved at 8 or 4.3 
years of age or something to that effect. And, and, but you don't understand. Ask yourself a question. How much time do you spend in the world system and how much time do you spend in the Word of God? And whatever you spend time in will influence you. And every one of you in this place this day brings some corrupt understanding into your access to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he calls in John 15 where it says, The Father is the pruner, I am the vine, and he clips off so that you bear much fruit. Why? He has to go through each of our lives to trim it down so it's a lean, mean fighting machine. Actually, he trims it so you have no abilities left, and it is Christ and Christ alone. Okay? The Apostle Paul, when he entered this place, he had a single mindset. I'm going to ask you if you have that mindset this day. I was determined to know Christ and Him crucified. Because... What he starts in chapter 5 with and through is dealing with issues in the church. Chapter 5, there was immorality in the church. And they weren't dealing with it. They were, actually, there were some were boasting about it. But the thing that really sets the stage is that they were boasting on their wisdom. Okay? Their abilities. And then they would boast in that, I am of Paul. Well, I was here when the church was first founded with our first pastor, who was Paul. I am of Apollos. He was the second pastor, and, and I was under his teaching. Well, I am of Cephas. I have been understanding the Jewish line of the New Testament uh, and the people of, of, of Peter. So I understand that principle, which makes me bigger than you. And then you would have the great mighty spiritual giants who could look at you with their arms crossed and say, I am of Christ. Okay? Let me tell you something. You, every one of you in this church is plagued by some of that. From people that you've been in their teaching in the past, from people that maybe denominations by other influences, or I have read, I, I am tired of people who say, have you read uh, D.A. Carson's commentary on John? No, I read John's commentary on John. Um, I, commentaries are one of the last things I ever look at. Why? Because that's all it is. It's a man's commentary. What does the Word of God say? And I see a lot of people who have that understanding of what somebody else has said. And I'm not against other writers. That's, please, that's not what I'm saying. But I am against people who will lift other writers above the Word of God. Okay? And that's what Paul's dealing with. And one of the things that he's dealing with here in chapter 6 is litigation. Court matters. Court matters. And um, it's alive and well. Don't kid yourself. Please don't kid yourself. Um, when a person divorces, do you know what the true term of divorce is? Anybody know? You sue for divorce. You sue for divorce. What are you suing for? I'm suing for a breach of contract. I want to break the contract. Okay? 
I want to break the covenant I have entered into, and so I will sue. All right, And that's what he's dealing with here. There's litigation, brother against brother. People are suing. I mean, so I use divorce just as the one that everybody in here has heard it. But have you ever really looked at the legal ramifications of what it is to sue for divorce? You're breaking a contract. All right? We have other things, and, and I'll deal with some of those as we go through this. But the... The problem that existed in Corinth is the same problem that exists in the church today in America. All right? Three misunderstandings. One, the position of the church. Two, the attitude of the Christian. And three, the relationship to the world. And we stepped into the position of the church, and I didn't get finished with it, but I want to pick it up again because he says, um, how dare you in verse 1? Uh, and, and then in verse 5, he says, this is your shame. How dare you go to court? And he makes a statement there, uh, take a case against his neighbor to the unrighteous is the New American Standard translation. Some of your translations will say just or unjust. Okay, he's not talking about is there justice in our court system. There is justice in the court system in America. Not all the time. But there is justice in the court system. It was set up to be a just system. All right? And depending on uh, numerous uh, dynamics, you can get a fair hearing in America, period. Uh, The problem is we all think we're innocent. All right? He's speaking of those who are not justified before God. Okay? Those who do not know God. Okay? That's the lost. And he said, how dare you who are just before God would take a matter to the unjust? And they were doing it. Verse 8 tells us why. They were wanting to defraud. They were wanting to wrong one another. Why? Uh, The judicial system in Corinth is the same as the judicial system in America today. It has become a cash cow. When people sue one another in civil suits, there's only one reason that they're doing it. Okay? I don't care what they say. All right? I don't care how many times they swear on a stack of Bibles. When I see them say, it's not about the money, I know they're lying through their teeth. Because if I spill a hot cup of coffee on my lap from McDonald's, the best I would ever deem necessary was pay for my laundry. Not $1.2 million. Okay? And then they tell me that I have to start putting hot on the side of the cup so we know. Um, What? Okay? Okay? Uh, but I see it in a myriad of fashions. Everybody uh, is, is coming up with this. I see it all over the place. I would even charge that most of the cases that you see going on today in the court system are money-based. How much can I get out of it? Why? I'm trying to defraud somebody. But I'll do it legally because the court and the jury said, this is how much you owe. All right? That's what was going on. And then we said, but you, don't you understand that the, the saints are going to judge the world? That's all. Just the world. Well, what? Yeah, we are only going to judge the world. He who overcomes will do what? 
sit on my throne. Do you get that? He's going to sit on a throne. He who overcomes. Not only that, we're going to judge angels. Judge angels? How can we judge angels? Are them the fallen angels or the righteous angels? Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And basically, he starts this out saying that for a Christian to sue a Christian, okay, what are the qualifiers? Under what circumstances can a Christian sue a Christian? Read your text. Don't look at me like you're frowning. Read your text. What are the qualifiers he gives you there? What about if I am an employer... And somebody that I have working for me is a, is a Christian and they steal some of my money. What if I am an employee of a Christian and he doesn't pay me all that is due me? How much can I sue him for? There's got to be some way, some reason that a Christian can sue a Christian. For a Christian to sue a Christian is only sin. That's all it is. And when a Christian willfully sins, he can look at the cross and Christ on the cross and think about Christ on the cross and say, it really isn't that big a deal. That's what you say. When you you say, I know that God doesn't want me to do that. I know it's a sin, but I'm going to do it anyway. Then you're going to say that Calvary really wasn't that big a deal. Wasn't that important? Okay, that's all you're going to say. Let me explain something to you. Christian, you are under a different authority than the world. Did you know that? You are under a different Lord. You are under a different King. You are under truth. Truth. The difference between you and the lost is is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Those who perish under Antichrist perish because they have no love for the truth. Alright? Your underlying motive, the energy source of your body should be a desire for truth. That should be the greatest the motivating factor in a Christian life should be truth. Did you know that? It should be the, the fuel for your tank that your car runs on. Why is that? Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. All right? And if I am wholly and purposely seeking truth, then who am I seeking? What am I seeking? The person of the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. Now then, Christian, what is the problem? This text should be very simple, but I don't believe that it is in our day and age. All right? Why? Who do you trust? Just ask yourself that simple question. Who do you trust? Do you trust your abilities? Do you trust your knowledge? Do you trust your understandings? Well, how about other men's abilities and understandings? Do you trust theirs? Let me give you a text to chew on. Go to the book of Colossians. That would be to the right. 
And I'm going to step on some toes this morning, and I will do it with as much grace and mercy as I can. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Beginning verse 1, here's the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a church he's never been to. He's never seen these people. Uh, He would like to go and be with them. And and, and as he wrote the church in Rome, he'd like to bear some fruit with them and get to know them and see their faces. Here's what he says. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are in Laodicea and for those who have not personally seen my face. See, he has a desire there. He knows there's some Christians in Colossae. He knows there's some in Laodicea. And he says, I want to see you. I want you to see my face. I want to see your face. It's one of the the banes, I believe, of, of email. There's no personal to it. I like to look people in the eye when I talk to them. Why? I know whether they're lying or not. It's just a personal quirk of mine. Okay, and it's just, I, I, li- I prefer it. I, I like it better than phones. And this is unusual. Ask my wife. Uh, am I a people person, honey? Do I like being around people? No. But you know what God showed me? You're no use to me if you like to be isolated. If you, you believe that you're going to take my gospel to all nations, what are you going to do? Hide in a hole and hope that the nations pass through your hole? Well, if you want it that way, I can bring them to your door. And he did that in the past, and I said, I don't like that. Let me go to them. And he said, all right. And I said, all right, we can handle that. Look what he says here. I want to come to you, what? That their hearts, okay, that you have not seen my face. Why? That your hearts would what? Be encouraged. I like being around Christians. Did you know that? I love being around Christians. You know why? They encourage me. I mean, the little ones that ain't really spiritual mature, that like to eat everything that's laying on the floor. I like being around them. And you're going, get that out of your mouth. Get that. Quit. Spit that out. All right? I like those. I like the mature ones. I like the intermediate ones. I like all Christians. I like the little gnarly ones. You ever seen the little gnarly Christians? The ones that got the wrinkled up forehead, and you know you need to pet them, but you don't want it because you know it's going to hurt. Right? Some of you who know, some of you know what I'm talking about. Because you've got, ow, oh, oh, God, I love these people. Oh, oh, Lord, help me love more. Oh, wait, what did I just ask for? No, help my faith first. But you know which ones I'm talking about. But he says, I'm encouraged around you. Having been knit together in love. You know why he's encouraged? Because we are one. There's a unity in the body of Christ that is supernatural and it is brought by love that has been poured into our hearts, the love that Christ showed us on the cross. Same love. I like being around Christians. He says, why? Because there's that overwhelming that in spite of personalities, in spite of cultures, in spite of all the stuff that we carry with us, There's that overwhelming love that is supernatural from God that you have for the saints. Okay? And attaining to all the wealth. Did you get that? How much? Now now watch. 
I like being around you to be encouraged because we have an overwhelming presence of supernaturally empowered love in all the saints' hearts. And in doing that, what happens? What does it say? We attain to what? All of the wealth that comes. Okay, I'm ready. From what? Full assurance of what? Resulting in the true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ in us. Christ himself. I can be around people that I didn't used to like to be around people. And being in those people's presence now, I'm encouraged because of the bond of love we both have in Christ or the group has in Christ. And it will start showing me the overwhelming, all of the wealth that exists in the person of Christ exemplified in his people. The treasure that the church owns today is the people of Christ. Because it takes all of the people to manifest the body of Christ to a lost and dying world. That's what Paul is just saying, all right? Why does he want you and I to be encouraged by the presence of one another in the wealth and the understanding of who he is? Because in Christ, verse 3, in whom? Christ. Read this. Please read this. In Christ... Are hidden what? How much? How much? But wait a minute. In our legal systems or in counseling or in this or in that, how much is in Christ? So why would I go anywhere else? Because you're deluded by persuasive arguments. That's what verse 4 says. Right? Because, see, if I come together with the saints, I'm encouraged by the presence of the saints. As they encourage, we will draw closer unto the person of Christ and understand who Christ is more and more and more. Through our love, through our relationship, through our spiritual gifts, through the times we spend together, to the study of scriptures, to the praising of God, through the acts of worship, through the, the lives that we've been through, the sufferings that we've been through, the trials that we've been through, the way our faith has been increased, the way uh, uh, my faith is different than your faith, and yet they're all faith is, comes from God and we all been through different trials and tribulations but how many of us want to do it on our own how many of us want to carry it ourselves how many of us on our own have our own wisdom our own knowledge our own understanding to deal with the things that the world throws at us I challenge you and say that every one of you in here tries it every one of you in here tries it okay look at chapter 3 verses 14 or 12 through 14 Chapter 3. Beyond these things, love. What things? All the things he's listed before. Bearing one another, or bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Um, uh, just all of those, those things that you see there in 12. So he says that you who are the chosen of God, okay, holy, beloved, put on a heart of compassion. 
kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing one another, forgiving one another. What does it say then next? Whoever has a whoever has a complaint against anyone, anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you should also. Okay? That's amazing text. Beyond all these things, put on love. Which is the what? What did it say? To teleos. It's absolutely complete. What is absolutely complete? Unity. Unity. Okay? Now, I want you to see that because I have a grasp, an understanding that how much wisdom is in Christ... Which part of all is missing there? It's all there. So when it comes to trying to understand a situation, where do you go grab your information to deal with the situation? See what I mean? You know, and I've heard all of the arguments, brothers and sisters. Not only that, some of them I created. I know the arguments, but you need to understand our culture. You need to understand our society. No, you need to understand Christ. Why? He made it. You've got to grab that. We don't grab that. Look at the things that we get upset about. What things right now are testing your faith that you're relying on human understanding, human wisdom, human knowledge to deal with something that the God is telling you, I want you to trust me. Think about it. Think about it. All right, now I want to go back to your text in Corinthians. All right? Because people will come to me and they will say, in the future, we who are the church will judge the world. We who are the church will judge the angels. But that's in the future. What I just gave you said, in Christ. Okay? How much knowledge you got? How much wisdom you got? Okay. Because now I'm going to move into verse 4. Verse 4 is as as complex as it gets, all right? This is difficult uh, to say the least. Here's the New American Standard Translation. I know I've got multiple translations. You're going to have to stay with me. You're going to have to pay attention. If not, then go to sleep now because you won't get any of this, all right? Here's what happens. New American Standard Translation, verse 4 says... So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? Question mark. Okay? The phrase in the Greek, if I translate this literal from the Greek, word for word, as the Greek language lays it out, here you, know, you talk about confused. This is what it says. This is word verbatim for what the Greek says. Of this life, then judgments, if you have those being least esteemed in church, these sit you. 
right? Clear as Ohio River. Um, that's the literal, all right? Here's the problem that happens in the Greek language. This is constituted as a question, all right? In the Greek language, there's no such thing as a question mark, okay? So context will try to derive from it whether it was a question mark or not, um, there is a specific use of tenses in this verse. Uh, there's a lot of ways that you can translate this verse. Um, I, those of you who know me and spent time with me, I try to stay simple. Now, when I get done with this, I'm not going to be dogmatic, but I can tell you that I spent a lot of time on this, and if you're willing to put a lot of time on it and you disagree completely with what I said, then great, let's sit down and we'll get the notes together and we'll see. All right, but I'm not going to be dogmatic with this. All right. I believe that the general meaning of the text is the same, however it is translated. All right, so he starts it out with, so if you have, and then um, new, uh, let's see, NIV calls it disputes. King James, New King James calls it judgments. But the truth of the matter is the best translation is law courts because it's the same, ver, uh, same word that is used at the end of verse 2, which is speaking of judging and courts and it's, Brings it out as law courts. All right, so what you have here is that if you have, all right, then look at your text. If you have the smallest law courts, very, uh, would be dealing with traffic violations to use today's vernacular. If you have these, the, the smallest matter, the most trivial cases, okay? So law courts fit this uh, in a context of, of everything that we began in verse 1. Uh, and he says, in matters of life, in matters of life, all right, most of your translations will list this as a question. The New American Standard classifies this thing as a question. But like I said, there are no question marks in the Greek language, all right? Here's the problem that exists with this verse. The form of the verb in this text can be used as a question, but the problem is, the form of this verb used in this text can also be used as a statement. Same verb. All right, so this can either be a statement or it can be a question. All right, now what's the key tool to interpreting Scripture? What's the number two? Te- the number two? And number three? Context. What does chapter? What does verse three and verse five say? Two questions in verse three. Then verse five. This is to your shame. So, is there a third question in verse four? Is there? It seems better to me with the two questions starting in chapter in verse three. Then you have a statement. And a statement in four and five. Here's what I would. Tra- here's how I translated this. All right. And there's a transition in the specific tenses of the nouns and the participle that hangs in here. I'm not going to get on all that goofy stuff. But here's what it says: If you have, if you are having law courts of things uh, pertaining to this life, he commands them now. There's the change in the tense. All right. Set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. Get that? What? 
you got puzzled heads. If you have something you believe you have to take to court, you can take the least esteemed in the church and do a better job. Why? They're just. They're indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. They have a love for truth. And their desire is not for men who would be suing each other, but that God be glorified in all things. That's a better statement. Um, You're better off in your situation if you have to have a decision, if you you have to have a litigation, a problem resolved, you're better off to set the least esteemed Christian in charge of it than go before the world. All right, here's an illustration. Uh, I was discussing this with Tom, and I'll give you his illustration. It's a good illustration, okay? If you had a problem between two saints, okay, two saints are at odds with each other, which would be more profitable for you to have to resolve the problem? A 12-year-old or a poodle? Which one would do a better job of resolving the court case? The 12-year-old or the poodle? That's the difference between those who are unjust and those who are just. You have darkness and you have light. They are at odds. They don't even look alike. They can't conceive alike. They don't think alike. They are not judged alike. They are under a different master. Their understanding is crooked and darkened. How in the world? Well, might as well get my donkey to do, make a decision. Right? But that's what I'm trying to get at. He's saying it is better to have a child who is the least esteemed in the church to make a decision than to take it to a court system where they ain't got a clue. They ain't got a clue. Why? Then verse 5 says what? This is to your shame. That's why he said it is better for you, instead of making it a question, the the least Christian is better equipped to handle a family matter within the framework of Christianity than the most competent lost judge. On the basis of what you read in Colossians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 3, which saint has all knowledge and wisdom? Child of God. Has it. The tool is there. The resource is there. It's already there. Now, I know that in the church today, some are bowed to it, some have not bowed to it, some are interested in it, and some are not. But Paul is saying it is better off to even have a Christian who doesn't even understand his Bible completely to make a decision than it would be for any lost person to make a decision, especially when it comes to the body of Christ. Not only that, I look at it from this perspective. What's your testimony? What are you showing the world your confidence is in? We say we serve the God who spoke existence into being, but He can't handle pity problems between people? What does the world say? Well, your God ain't very big, is He? We are above the world in Christ. We are above the angels in Christ. And it's only because of Him that we have that. Why would I take it anywhere else?
Some would say, well, in the future we will judge the world. In the future we will judge angels. Paul is saying even you're better off to have the least esteemed Christian than to have a world. Anybody lost. Anybody who is under the the rule of a follower of lies. See, listen, if you reject the truth, then what is it you're going to follow? I mean, we don't have a lot of options here, people. Okay, if I am a rejecter of that that is true, then I have a preference to follow what? Half-truths, right? Half-truths, right? Because I I wouldn't follow a lie, but I'll follow a half-truth, right? Or a real close truth. How's that? You're still following a lie. Look what he does now. And, and this is why I, show you, I, I say that verse 4 is a statement, not a question. Verse 5, he says, this is to your shame. It is so that there is not among you a wise man. Then that sound, oh, is that a, like a burn? He's already said the wisdom of God is wiser than anything man. Or wait, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisest of man. And he's saying, you're doing what? You're boasting on your wisdom. But you're taking these things and going to court on them. Isn't you got one wise person? You should go get one of the little less esteemed Christians. They'll do a better job. Boy, this is an in-your-face text. Why? He's already told you, you're wise. You boast on your wisdom. Look at your teachers. And he says, but you haven't got one wise man to handle litigation among two saints in the church. You'd be better off to go get one of those infants in Christ. Let him preside over the the, the, uh, faction. You who have everything. You who have already arrived, he said. Remember this text that I gave you in chapter 2? I wish you had arrived. Okay? You don't have anybody smart enough to settle a case between the brethren. You have to take it to the world. How shameful, he says in verse 5. Okay, then in verse 6. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before the unjust. The unjust. You know what he just did? He blasted the very essence of Christianity that was being exhibited in the church in Corinth. What does 1 John say about the brethren? You will know them by their love for one another. I just gave you the text out of chapter 3 and uh, and chapter 2 in Colossians. What did it say there? Forgive as Christ forgave you. There's two things that shine brighter in Christendom than anywhere. One is their love. One is their forgiveness. In what things? But you don't understand. How can you be a Christian and be suing one another is what Paul is saying. Okay, that's verse 5. 
or that's verse 6. How can you do that? You're the ones who are wise. You're the ones who are indwelt by the Spirit of the living God who is the wisdom of the ages. How in the world would you take it to the liars? Let me tell you something. When pride raises, love leaves. Okay? I thought about that. And the more I think about it, every time I've seen people raise up in pride, love vacates the building. You cannot exist in pride and exist in love. It's impossible. Because what is the single focus of pride? Self. Self. Okay? Chapter 13 of this text, he says, if love, if you don't have love and all that you do, you're just noisy. I mean, that's what he says. You're a clanging gong. You're just noisy. That's all you are. You can do all that you want to do, but guess what? If you don't have love, you're just noisy. And here's what's amazing. Plato made this statement, and I find this amazing, but here's what he said, Plato, and I quote, The really good man will always choose to suffer wrong rather than to do wrong, unquote. Let me tell you something. Plato ain't saved. But he understood that the really good person will be willing to undertake the suffering than to repay it. And it's amazing because you need to understand who was one of the big philosophical influences on Corinth? Plato. Plato was. And yet, the pagans understood that the really good man is willing to suffer, even when wrong. And the Corinthians didn't. The Corinthian church didn't. It's a sin to sue Christians. Not only that, and I'll show you this, look at verse 8. No, verse 7. Why not rather be wronged? How you feeling? How you feeling? Does that sound like a good plan? Well, you don't understand. I have my what? My rights. But I need to... Let me give you something that is personal. I would prefer to be wronged and have God's blessing than to have the money. I mean, I'm going to deal with this next week, um, but John, that Matthew 18 text, you know, the one that everybody likes to say, this is church discipline and this, that, and the other. Yeah, that's in there. But there's another text in there that people just don't like to see. That's that one where Peter gets really spiritual, you know. Lord! If a brother wrongs me, should I give him, forgive him seven times? Okay, because Jewish law said what? Three. Three was miraculous. Jesus looks at him and says, Peter! 490. What? 490 times you forgive him. 490? 
But not only that, if they sue you to take your cloak, <laughs> give them your blanket. Okay? And if they ask you to walk a mile, go to. Why? Father in heaven knows. Father in heaven knows. Christian life is love and forgiveness. Peace at any cost. You know, one of the things, the tough things that we, we struggle with is that, you know what, you can't teach anybody anything. Okay? Unless the Holy Spirit shows them uh, they're useless. Okay? I don't care how, how wonderful a teacher you are. I don't care what you do. I don't care the homework. I don't, I don't care about any of that. That's why if you watch the Lord Jesus Christ, when He prepared to teach, before He taught, He prayed. When He got done teaching, what did He do? He prayed. Why? Jesus is showing you and I what our dependence was. For what? All things. All things. If somebody has wronged you, and you... He told Timothy this, his last letter before he dies. He said, if any man comes against you and argues with you, what are you supposed to do? Show him how smart you are, Timothy, and quote him some scripture. Is that what he says? What does he say? Pray that God will open their eyes, bringing them to repentance. So when a person comes against you and attacks you, what are you going to, what's going to be your response? It's difficult. Too many are in it for what I can get at, or preserve what I have. You know, this is what I got. This person is suing me for whatever reason, and therefore I need this, that, or the other. Okay, and I need to protect it. Because, you know, I've got to be a good steward of what God's given me. Really. Perhaps He needs to show you that all the stuff you have is something that you're dependent on. He's getting ready to remove it, and your testimony of what God's doing in your life will be the greater treasure than the things that He has given you that are temporal. Ooh. Ooh. Well, I think he's doing that to somebody else. I'm not on that list because he knows I'm not dependent on the things of my life. Really? It is better to suffer wrong as a Christian with the love of Christ in our, in our heart rather than to suffer insult and injury and loss. I'd rather do that than to afflict it on someone, especially a brother. Bible says if you go against the scriptures what happens well I can tell you what happens from my vantage point I always see bitterness and anger when people rebel against the word of God I'm going to sue anyway I know I shouldn't sue but I'm going to do it anyway because this person needs to be taught a lesson who gets the lesson Okay? I, when I see people go to court over anything, I have never seen anybody walk away satisfied. Ever. I've never seen it. Never seen it. The people who want don't get as much as they want. The people who have to give are mad because they had to give it up. And all I see is bitterness and anger. Bitterness and anger. Doesn't matter. Did you know what else the Bible says? If I do it God's way, what does God do? He does what? 
He blesses us. He gives us spiritual providence. He just gives it to you. Backs up the holy divine dump truck of blessing and just dumps it right over you. That's it. Makarios. I will bless you. Why? You were obedient. You know what? I'd rather have God's blessing than money. How about you? How about you? Let me, let me go back to my first illustration on divorce. Why do they decide on a, a dispersion of the belongings? Why do they do that? You ever wondered that? Well, it's because preachers, the two are one in Christ. No, they're not. They ain't got nothing to do with it. I'm suing for the breach of contract. And the breach of contract is this. This is mine, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. I want this much alimony, this much child support, and I want you to do this and this and this and this. Why? Why? Because I want what's mine. But you don't understand. I, I'm telling you what the Lord says. I'm just telling you what the Lord said. This is what the king says. All right, um, I, I know uh, a person right now, a very precious saint of mine, a friend of mine, who has divorced her husband, and she said that uh, she understands that God says um, she's not to remarry. And she says, "I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that." I said, "All right," and, and of course, there is a question on whether the husband is saved or not. I don't know whether he is. I never did really trust him myself, but I don't trust very many people anyway. But you know what was amazing about it was? She didn't ask for alimony. She didn't ask for child care. She didn't ask for anything. She said, the situation that we're in is unhealthy. The spirit is not here. It is causing a spirit of dissension. And there was, some, there was a lot of stuff that was going on. I don't want to get into all the details. But it was a dangerous situation and all the rest of it. And again, the question is whether the guy was saved or not. I don't know. But when she walked away from that marriage, even suing it, she said, you know what? I want nothing. I want absolutely nothing. That's a pretty powerful testimony. Okay, now let me ask you a question. You read this. I've got to ask you a question. Do you have a problem with another saint? How can you not forgive them if Christ has forgiven you? If you have another issue with another brother or sister in Christ, how can you not forgive them? Okay, if you can't, then you know what you're supposed to do? You're going to hate this. In light of what you've just looked at, you have to go back to Hebrews chapter 13. What does it say? Submit to the elders, for they watch over your soul. Got that? Let them make a, a decision in the case, in the situation. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you feel comfortable about that one? That's tough. OK? 
Okay? And if you've got a problem with it, then I, you need to call um, Willie and Tom. <laughs> okay? I've given them instruction now and given you instruction. And like I said, I, was I going to Florida or something? Why? You settled in the family. Why? We provide the unity of peace. Why? Because I understand the position of the church. And there's no reason to take it outside of the court. I had another situation one time when a couple was rear-ended by a car, uh, car they were getting ready to turn into their, their, to the road that they went into, and this young couple just creamed them and got the back and the neck. And, the, and they called me, and they said, what do you got? Well, what do you think? I says, 1 Corinthians 6. Well, they're not believers. 1 Corinthians 6. Why? That's your standard. What's your standard? How do you know that if you don't take these people to court and try to sue them for every nickel and dime they'll ever make in their entire life, you can win them to Christ? I mean, do you ever thought about that? That somebody offends you and you don't sue? How weird is that? It's not weird at all. It's the nature of the children of God. That's our place. That's our place. I'd rather have God's blessing than money. Settle in the family. Here's the problem with this text. This is God's command. It's not His option. Why? The forgiveness that has been shown you, you now just turn from the cross and you show it to everybody you come in dealings with. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your word. I praise you for my brother Paul. I praise you for this text. Lord, this is a practical text, and yet, Lord, I understand. I understand. My King, my Lord, my Savior, your ways are not our ways. And Father, yet in, my, in, in, in you, Lord Jesus, is all wisdom and understanding. Father, let us bow before your wisdom, your understanding, that we may embrace it. And Father, we may not, that we would trust in you in all our ways, and lean not on our own understanding. Lord, in all of our ways, let us acknowledge you. And Father, let us be thankful that you will make our path straight. Thank you for what you did in my heart and my life through this text, Lord. I praise you for it. And Lord, I ask that those who will bow before your word would receive the blessing from on high. And that, Father, we would understand the power and majesty and the justice that you have. And let us rest there in Christ's name. Amen.